the voice of the undefeated San Francisco 49ers, Greg Papa, joining us. Hi, Greg. How are you? 2-0 and and looking forward to the home opener on Sunday. So the, the game in Tampa was uh, defensively driven, obviously. Uh, they did enough on offense to, to win the game, but the game in, in Cincinnati in week two was just spectacular in every regard. I mean, it was 41-10 to uh, late in the third quarter when Joe went out a couple of plays earlier, Staley, which took a little of the excitement out. But, man, I, I'm – I'm beginning to wonder what I'm sure you guys are wondering, uh, how much improved are the 49ers and how good can they be in 2019? It's exciting. Well, you know, Greg, at 8.30, we do a, a, a cold hard fact segment where we have a stat of the day. Uh, I'll do an early one. Uh, since you took over as play-by-play voice of the Niners, <laughs> they are undefeated. How much credit do you personally take uh, for <laughs> that record? And should, uh, should Kyle Shanahan uh, share in some of that credit with you? I think all of it, Dave. Okay. I, think, uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, told Kyle in the off season, uh, we're kind of in the same business. The uh, touchdown and it's San Francisco now, right. 49ers. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's exciting because I, I think he's such a, a brilliant play designer. I, I More than just play caller, it's the way he designs plays uh, throughout the week and then uh, just gets incredible uh, mismatches and wide open receivers and backs and, the amount of explosive plays, uh, just incredible. And then the defense doing what they did. So, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I, I think it's all it's all because of me. I brought all that all that all that good uh, karma from the Raiders because we know right. the Raiders never had a bad year when I was there. We uh, we won the AFC West every year, as I remember. You know, one of the many reasons I love talking to you, Greg, my, my football knowledge over the years is very surface. Uh, you pay attention to everything and watch film, I think, 26 hours a day. At least that's what I think. I look at uh, I look at Coach Shanahan, and really I look at their, their – let, let's take their rushing from, from the last game. You've got Breida, Mostert. You could insert Coleman or, or Jarek McKinnon if they were healthy, and I'm sure they'd be successful. And it, it – it reminded me a little bit, Greg, of his dad's offenses in Denver back when it was Mike Anderson, Olandis Gary. It seemed like every year he could plug in a guy and he'd, he'd go for 800 to 1,200 yards, almost like a plug-and-play offense because of that line and because of his schemes. Do you see similarities there? Is this more kind of like a, a plug-and-play rushing offense that Kyle has going? Well, uh, Mike did have, uh, you know, one year he traded for uh, Clinton, for, traded Clinton Portis. Yep. Clinton uh, Portis came to Denver. And he, Terrell Davis was not a high draft pick, but he was a six-round draft pick. But you're right. Orlando Scary, Mike Anderson with a mile-high salute. Uh, we could go on and on. Yep. And it's just the, the concepts. And also, I think Alex Gibbs uh, gets a lot of credit for it because he really was the O-line coach there and the run game coordinator. And it's what Kyle does here. Uh, with the outside stretch zone running game and all the the, the movement off of it. When you watch, uh, and I, sometimes I'll watch practice from behind the line of scrimmage or I'll watch the All-22 uh, video and watch. There's two, either a sideline or behind the line of scrimmage. And if it's the angle where it's behind the 49ers line, offensive line, you can see how it all works. And if you p- pretend to be a linebacker on defense on the other side, you just you, you can't tell if they're handing it or pulling it, and it's a boot. So the linebacker has to step up to play that stretch zone, and they take one step up, then they're late getting back where they need to be and all the drag routes coming uh, off of that. But it's not it, the game has gotten so complicated, and I do give Andy Reid a lot of credit 
years ago, he embraced a lot of the pre-snap movement. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill going one direction, a back going the other. He hired Chris Ald from Nevada, invented the pistol to do that. He brought in Brad Childress as his spread game coordinator. So Andy kind of started it. But the 49er offense is, just because pro football and football in general at all levels has evolved and it's so complicated, just watch the amount of plays where there's pre-snap motion. Like, I'd love to have a a Fitbit on Debo Samuel. (laughs) How much does he he run a game? You know, we call it the yo-yo motion where he'll start on one side of the formation. He'll start on the left side, say, and then go in a full across-the-field motion to the right side, turn and come back the other way. And they'll fake him a jet sweep off of that, and then simultaneously right after that fake, fake one to Bree to go in the other direction and then roll the pocket an entire way to the right and throw back left. So, yeah, it's a basic outside zone, inside zone, boot game off of it that Coach Shanahan and Coach Gibbs and Coach Walsh did years ago. But the pro game has gotten so complicated now where you're just trying to fool the other team and play with their eyes and their their leverage. If they're just half a body length out of position – that could be enough to pop either the, the run that you're trying to get to or the pass off the run action. Now, Greg, you brought it up early about, I mean, everything was so great about last week with the exception of the injury to Joe Staley. What impact do you anticipate that? How will they overcome uh, his injury? Well, he's, he's the most veteran guy on the team. He's the longest tenured guy on the team. Uh, and he plays one of the most important positions in pro football. I mean, after quarterback, you tell me what's next. Uh, you know, uh, edge rushers, cornerbacks are important in some schemes. Some they're not. But left tackle would be right there. That's why it's a high-paid position. And Joe is such a leader on this team. And they all look up to him. It's still a young offensive team. But he's the guy. And then beyond that, you know, you're plugging in a guy who was supposed to be your fourth tackle this year. Just in school, we were wondering if he was good enough to be the swing tackle when Sean Coleman got hurt, and now he's the starting left tackle. So uh, I watched him at practice yesterday. I, I think he'll be fine in the run game. Uh, he's a powerful guy. He's strong. They ran where he went to school at Vanderbilt. They ran the outside zone, inside zone. So he knows the scheme. I think where you're going to have to help him is in pass protection. And uh, Bud Dupree of the Steelers is a really good player. J.J. Watt's brother, T.J. Watt, will be over on the other side, I think. Uh, he'll get mainly Bud Dupree, but... Uh, you're going to have to bring a tight end over there, maybe a fullback, maybe use check lines up a little bit on the offense's left and, and, you know, chips whoever they come. But uh, I was down, you know, and I, I thought it was a worse injury than it turned out to be. It's a broken fibula. He may be back in his, his, as soon as six weeks, but, you know, probably around Thanksgiving at eight weeks. So it's a big injury. He's a very important player in every regard, and he plays, uh, besides quarterback, maybe the second most important position on the team. Greg Papa, voice of the San Francisco 49ers, joining us. I want to ask you about Dante Pettis. I, I don't know what Dante Pettis is. I was really high on him last year. I'm very high and was in the offseason on Debo Samuel, and it seems that he and Jimmy Garoppolo have found a connection. Marquise Goodwin's that home run hitter. Samuel had that, what, what, I think, 39-yard uh, reception, but then 4-47 and 47 the rest of the way. He just has that ability to shed tackles. Where is Dante Pettis, and, and does he just – why does he keep – seemingly slide down that 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 receiver option well he did play more on sunday in cincinnati only had two snaps in tampa and he was up to 25 on sunday i think a lot of that was just wes welker 
uh, is the first time being a wide receiver coach. And it's really, you know, Kyle just calls the plays and it's up to Bobby Turner to get the running backs in the game. He's the running back coach and West to rotate the uh, wide receivers. And I think they just didn't get to Pettis as much as they wanted to. But clearly, to your point, uh, he's fallen behind. There's no doubt. You know, I think Goodwin and, and uh, Samuel are your starting receivers, and they moved Debo to uh, X. He's the X receiver, uh, and Marquise has moved to Z. And then they, they don't run a lot of three wide receiver formations because they like the fullback on the field. And I think, you know, in light of the uh, Staley injury and in school starting, you're going to have to have a second tight end in line to help, to help the left tackle this week. So you're just not going to have a lot of three wide receivers formations on the field. And I, I think Richie James Jr., is probably the third, and then Kendrick Bourne and Dante Pettis are battling for playing time behind that. And it's going to get more difficult for Dante to get on the field because uh, Trent Taylor's coming back, you know, from this Jones fracture. He'll miss the game Sunday, but, you know, maybe he comes back for the Browns game on the Monday night or off the bye week, and likewise for the other rookie, Jalen Hurd. So, uh, uh, you know, I, he's, he's falling behind. Uh, there's no doubt. And I think just the, the 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 main issue is, as I would see it, is physicality. Uh, you know, Debo's a physical guy. He blocks in the run game. Uh, Jalen Hurd is a mauler in the run game. And if you want to play for Kyle, and we're talking about all these runs, the reason you pop all these explosive runs, and they just had one explosive after the other, it was incredible on Sunday. I think they had nine runs of ten or more. Breida had like six of them himself. A lot of that is downfield blocking from the wide receiver. So it's not just, you know, catching and running routes and uh, even the throw that he made across the field. They used him on a little bit of a, a trick play, a double pass to get the ball to Mostert. But uh, he's falling behind. There's no doubt. But I think the other side of it is that Tebow Samuel is a hell of a good player. Yep. And uh, Jalen Hurd, the first preseason game, Dave, he caught two touchdown passes. So I, I kind of thought he was going to battle Tebow for playing time. And then when Taylor gets back so the wide receiver room is deep greg last week after the win saw a lot of quotes about the value of being in youngstown for the week and you know the results were great so i don't know if the if just it's a byproduct of the results or if it really was being away for a week can you quantify what you think that did for the team just to kind of have their own little mini camp away from from home for a week to get ready for that game well, I think they got they got aided by the schedule in Tampa starting the game late in Tampa, as we talked about in week one, you know, kicking it at 425, not earlier in the day. It was just easier for the West Coast 49ers to acclimate. And then it was no question it was smart to go to Youngstown and not fly back. You know, you think you got a week. Can't you fly back? They want to come home and see their families. But really, it's difficult on Sunday morning. I know I feel it uh, just getting up and I, I don't sleep a lot, but. Uh, it's just difficult to get cranked. I mean, you, the game kicks off at 10 o'clock our time, and to be ready to roll at 10 o'clock, these, these men are up at 6 a.m. Uh, that's 6 a.m., 7 a.m. on the East Coast. That's 3 or 4 in the morning on the West Coast. And uh, they don't they don't get to sleep. You know, sometimes it's hard to get to sleep on Saturday night. They do take things that help them get to sleep, but it's hard. So uh, you'd have to ask them individually uh, how it helped uh, each guy, but – this is a bottom line world, you know, not just professional sports, but all of society is bottom line. And the bottom line is they came out flying on Sunday. They had a sack on the first play of the game. Uh, there was a bad exchange on a handoff, and then they had a three and out and four plays into the first drive. Good one's completely naked on a, on a throwback. Nobody's within 10 yards of them. And 
they just rolled. With the exception of that one defensive series and Jimmy throwing the interception, uh, they just they they kicked tail. It was a, it was forty one to ten by you know early into the fourth quarter. So when you look at that, uh, and I think Kyle did say that they do have a trip where they have back to back East Coast games, and they're both early starts right right after Thanksgiving in uh, December uh, in Baltimore and New Orleans, and they're already making plans to stay on the East Coast, whether they go to Florida in the IMG Academy or go back up to Ohio somewhere, maybe even Ohio State University. I'm not sure, but uh, it's hard for me to quantify it except the scoreboard. I mean, they, uh, they annihilated them on Sunday. Just look at the rushing numbers were incredible in that game. Uh, you know, they rushed for over 250 yards and the Bengals had 25. So, I mean, what, what more uh, empirical data do you need to know whatever we did to get ready for that game? We may want to do that again next time. Greg Papa with us. Greg, I want to go back real quick to something we talked about with the running backs. And I want to stress, I'm not taking a shot at John Lynch. Hindsight is completely 2020. But do you think the Niners are maybe learning a lesson in progress that with that Kyle Shanahan offense, when it is running on all cylinders, you know, the, the undrafted running backs they have are, are absolutely doing a bang up job. But you have Tevin Coleman, two years and 10 million, Jarek McKinnon, four years and 30, of which he's made 16 million last year and this year. You think maybe they're learning that, much like some of the NFL, uh, that's money that could very easily be spent somewhere else in more of a position of need and, and in the future, perhaps not, not feel it necessary to bring in those contract guys and just let guys like this, who will eventually need to get paid, but let these guys go because it's the offense more than it, or as much as it is the individual player? Well, yeah, but it's easy in hindsight. I think you yeah. also have to commend, you know, the coaching staff and Bobby Turner. I mean, uh, Mostert, I, I had no idea he was this good of a back, and I'm not sure they did. Uh, and so last year when he, he ran really well at Green Bay, had that big game against the, uh, the Raiders on November the 1st, and he broke his forearm. And Jeff Wilson Jr. is a guy who was undrafted. And uh, you also have to give him credit for guys getting better. And then Coleman was not an expensive addition. That, that's not a lot of money there for a running back. And Coleman is a very good player. I mean, an excellent player. When I watch him run in Atlanta or even in preseason, uh, Breed is very good. But Coleman is a front-line back. There's no doubt. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is a, is a different guy. I almost look at Jarek McKinnon, Dave, as a, as a wide receiver yeah. in, a, in a running back. Uh, body and he gets matched up with linebackers. Like, for instance, Dante Moncrief, who's playing for Pittsburgh and not playing well. And the 49ers in the offseason could have bought him. But when he's out uh, running his routes, he gets matched up by cornerbacks. And I, I think it's difficult for him to win. And he has suspect hands. So would you rather pay a guy like that or buy a running back like Jarek McKinnon, who's going to get matched up with linebackers? Yeah. And I know he's going to win. And he's a running back after he catches the ball. So it's easy to say, uh, in McKinnon's case, he got hurt. He got hurt twice. He, uh, one knee injury is going to cost him two years, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. But, they're, they're, I mean, you have to look at it a little bit deeper. I, I don't consider McKinnon similar to Breida or Mostert or Wilson or Coleman. He's just different. Yeah, to me, he's, uh, he's got a lot of Christian uh, McCaffrey in him mm-hmm. in the way he's able to run routes. He's just a special uh, running back as far as being able to separate like a wide receiver does. So I think each player does something different. Greg, what do you think about Pittsburgh this week? Obviously an 0-2 team that's done a lot of winning over the years. They're still acting like a team that wants to make the playoffs by trading for Minka Fitzpatrick. You know that Big Ben is out. 
What do you expect from the Steelers in really what's going to be a must-win for them this weekend? Well, I, uh, Jason, I think they traded for Minka because they, they all loved him so much and they wanted to get him in the draft, but they were picking late and they've had safety injuries and just some of their safeties have not played well. Uh, obviously, losing Ben is going to affect the way they play. Uh, ben is a really good player, has been for a long time. Uh, he's, a, he's a Super Bowl champion two times over. Uh, he's made some big plays. I mean, the guy's going to be a Hall of Famer, there's no doubt. And they, they built the whole thing around him. Uh, a lot like Philip Rivers, uh, he runs this team. So they're going to a, a guy with over 200 starts, uh, you know, second most in the history of the franchise behind the center, Mike Webster, to a guy who will make his first start. So I think Mason Rudolph is capable. He looks the part. He looks like Ben, but uh, he's not Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, he may have mobility more than Ben because he's younger, but he's going to need it because he's not, he's not going to see the field the way Ben did, and uh, Ben just has a way of being difficult to, to sack. Even if you're on the guy, he's so big and strong. But my concern, the other side, is this franchise for years and years and years has been known as the Blitzburg Steelers, and they will come at you, and I'm not sure they have to blitz a lot. Uh, Dupree, Bud Dupree on one side is a really good player, and he plays their – it's a 3-4 defense. He plays the right outside linebacker almost every snap. They don't flip him a lot. He'll be over just in school, and that's you know the area of concern. And I think Dupree is just a, a tremendously ferocious, high-motor player and a really effective player. And then T.J. Watt on the other side. I think the 49ers can run at T.J. Watt. Seattle was able to run to their offensive right uh, and go right at T.J. Watt, and I think you'll see them do that. But Pittsburgh, they got a good defense. Stephon Tewitt's a good player. Cameron Hayward's a good player. Uh, obviously, their their rookie linebacker in the middle there is a is a good player, Devin Bush, the guy they drafted high, number ten overall. So, and they're a prideful bunch. You know, they they lose this game, they fall to zero and three, and it's tough to win the uh, AFC North this year the way Baltimore's rolling with an zero and three. So they're going to try to save their season. But uh, you know, from the 49er perspective, uh, we'll see what Levi's can do. I, you know, I'm calling all week for Levi's to be lit on Sunday. I know the Steelers are going to bring in Myron Cope's terrible towels and all that, yeah. try to whip. Uh, their, and they, they travel like a college team. There's no doubt. There'll be a lot of Steeler fans there. But hopefully there's more red in that stadium than black. Uh, but it's a, it, it's, a, it's a game for them. they got to stay alive. It's a prideful uh, group, obviously, six-time Super Bowl champions. And it's, it's always fun when the Steelers come to the Bay Area on either side. And, you know, Roethlisberger's never won in the Bay Area. The Steelers haven't won in the Bay Area since 99. Wow. So, and if, you know, we'll see where Ben's career's at. You know, he, he could possibly win two Super Bowls in his career and never win a game in the Bay Area. It would be impossible to have a better winning percentage as a play-by-play voice than Greg Poppin does, <laughs> and let's hope that continues yes. this Sunday. Versus... I, did, I did lose one in the preseason, you remember, that last yeah, game against the Chargers. So, so technically it's yeah. an 833. I, I'm 5-1. Yeah, we, don't <laughs> count, we don't count yeah. preseason. We're looking at 16 yeah. and yeah. Right. yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. Neither Each, do I. Every uh, Thursday, Greg will join us at 735. Have a great call as always this weekend, Mr. Papa. Thank you, guys. Have, have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right.